Hey, Sandra. Kelly. Oh, there it is. There it is. Who bit. are we? Oh my You're goodness, girl. We are the Screaming Divas. In the woods. In the woods. In Still Paris. Stuck in Paris. Not for long. Not for long. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And today, another amazing interview. Who'd we interview? Oh my gosh. I love this human being so much. Michael Heaston. Yes, he is the new artistic administrator at the Metropolitan Opera and Opera House. We are both just rooting for and hoping that we can have the doors open come fall. I think everybody's hoping for this. Um, But Michael Heaston has this amazing story of how he actually got to this brand new position. And we really wanted to talk with him about his vision and his way forward. He has worked at every major opera house, it seems like, in North America. And not only is he an administrator, but he is a brilliant musician, pianist. uh, Collaborator. Yeah. I mean, he could do it all. And he brings all of that knowledge now into the artistic administrator at the Metropolitan Opera. Exciting stuff. So we had to have him on the Screaming Divas and I'm so glad that he said yes. Shenanigans. 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 There's some real talk in this conversation. You want to get real about a lot of stuff? Come spend an hour with us and listen to this. I think this is a really great conversation for all. For all. Singers, artists, everyone. He, once again, free advice people here. So come check us out, everybody. Michael Heaston, Screaming Divas. Check this out. And what do we want to tell them? We want we might want to remind them. It's been a while, Carrie. Oh my gosh. I know we haven't said that. Hello, people. Click the button. Subscribe. subscribe. I would appreciate it. Actually, I don't really give a shit, but just subscribe if you feel like it. <laughs> um, I give a shit. She does. I do. I'm subscribe. just that way. And watch on your podcast. Ooh, I would love to say this because I I would really love for this to happen, but please let it be positive. You can get on Apple and review our podcast. So if you feel like doing that, I would really love that. That would be awesome. Now that she would love. Yeah. I would love you to subscribe, but yeah. So, you know, there you go. One or the other or both. Hey, we are easy. Yeah. We shouldn't say that too loud. Nope. (laughs) All right, people. Stay safe. Au revoir. Get the jab. Yeah, get the jab. Bye. Bye. The opera house and an opera company should totally be, you know, a symbol of what that local community is and needs. Yes. And we're an international art form, different languages, mm-hmm. hundreds of years of repertoire, but somehow we need to be relevant to the community around us and speak to them and change their lives for the better. Yep. We have to be civically engaged and not just interested in, you know, what does the whole world think about this? We need to think about that, but you need both the macro and the micro yep. at, at all times going. Um, Cause at the end of the day, you know, you want that this amazing opera company has something to say about that local community as well. Ready, Freddy? Yes. La la. Sparkle. Sparkle, girl. Today's Michael. Hi. How are you? Oh my God. Oh my God. I love the stash.
or the goatee or is whatever. It okay? Huh? Is it okay? It looks great. Why not? You know, this is what happens in quarantine, <laughs> right? If not now, when? Exactly. Um, I'm sitting here in yoga pants and wait, hold on a second. And some sparkly slippers. <laughs> Fantastic. Love you, Michael. Hi. 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 Hello and bonjour from Paris. Oh, well, we don't get to sound that fancy here in scenic Des Moines, Iowa, where I currently am. Well, this will be a little reminiscent of Texas where you just came from. I can be like, hey, hey, y'all, how's everybody doing? <laughs> so you're in Des Moines, you're not in New York. I'm not in New York yet. Um, I should be in New York at some point later this spring, but uh, I grew up in Des Moines and when it was time to leave Houston, um, I thought I'll just come visit my family for the month of September and I'll get to New York in October. And then we know what happened with the Met season and in how many months later, thank you for counting. Uh, so I'm back in the house I grew up in, Whoa. sleeping in my old childhood bedroom. Ooh. And I've been here for about seven months. Can we talk about that? Oh my Jesus. Totally. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. How how is it going? Like is it is it is it up down or is it like yay, get to get to be with parents or is it Yeah, you know what? It, it it's good. It's um I think we have to find every silver lining we possibly can these days. I mean, I think we need to do that anyways in life, but I feel like now we need them more than ever. And you know, I will never again have this much time with my parents. True. And and to get them to get to know them at this age, yeah, is is a cool thing. And also to get to be you know an uncle, like I'm seeing my nieces and nephews, cool. and I usually miss out on everything because I'm never here. So, you know, I cling to the silver linings. Again, some days I I cling to them, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> some days. No. But it's, Mr. But it's, alcohol helps. It, it does. It totally yeah. does. Hey. I'm, you know, I love your silver lining. There's part of me that's still processing that information because I'm like, what, Michael? What? <laughs> oh, come on, you know. Proof. We're gonna. How many times have you wanted to just run out that door? <laughs> oh, many. <laughs> well, we all want to with our parents, don't we? I mean, come on. Yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah. So. Silver lining, you're right. I got to spend more time with my mom in the last year than I have in probably the last 20 years, not even yeah. 10, 20. So- I will say you guys are lucky in that sense because I haven't seen mine in that long. I mean, it's been yeah. it's been so long since I've seen her because once this all shut down, we couldn't get to her, but now we've all been partially vaccinated. So yeah. my brother, my mom, my stepdad, everybody. So we're really looking forward to figuring out something somehow to get together. Have you been vaccinated yet? Yeah, I, I got my first dose this past Saturday. Yeah. I drove 70 miles west of Des Moines to scenic Atlantic, Iowa, which I did not realize is the Coca-Cola capital of Iowa. Oh my gosh, how cool oh. is that? So I took pictures. I had to document it all, but it was a <laughs> road trip. Yay. I mean, I drove by a bunch of wind farms and farms with actual livestock. And then I wound up in a grocery store and got my shot, which, which is great. And it makes me feel better about finally moving back East to the city and, you know, starting the next chapter 
I've already started, I'm already working. I'm just, yeah. it, it'll just be good to actually feel like I'm, you know, living where I work. Is have there, a, oh, sorry. Is there a timeline to that? Have we, have we set a date to go back to New York? Yeah, in about, I think in about four weeks, I'm going to go for two to three weeks just so I can try to calmly look for something. Because usually, I mean, this is my third time moving to Manhattan in the last like 17 years. <laughs> you know how it is. It's like, it's never easy even as much as you've lived there. So I thought this is the one time I'll go and actually do it calmly instead of going for three days and just finding the first thing that comes along. Which is brutal. <clears throat> I mean, we all have those horror stories from apartments in New York, so. Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh my gosh. My <laughs> eyes are wide open. What was your worst apartment that you had? Um, I think the worst one was the first one. And that was back in when, 2002, I think when we first moved there. And it was this little tiny one bedroom apartment on the Upper East Side that cost way too much money for people just leaving grad school. And I mean, it, it, if the walls were thicker than this Kleenex, I mean, I would have been shocked. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but of course, like being a coach, I had my upright piano up there and first the movers were like, they're not gonna want you to have this thing in there. And I'm like, well, it's on the sidewalk. So guess where it's going? <laughs> so we took it up to the apartment, you know, and I would, I would um, it was just so small. And I was trying to learn as many scores as I could because I was while well, temping during the day and then practicing at night. And um, the neighbor next door would like fancy herself some sort of singer. But then when she started realizing that I was next door and I was playing things, you know, we could hear every conversation she and her boyfriend were having through the wall. It just didn't matter. And so like, I'd be practicing and he, we, like, I would hear it was as if she was right here. He's like, why don't you sing something so he can hear it through the wall? Like, he's professional or something. I think he might know what he's talking about. <laughs> oh my God, New York stories, right? I was like, I just need you to live your life over there. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing to see here, people, move on. <laughs> It, it, it was just like it was so small and so much money and you know whatever it's fine yeah so third time's a charm let's third let's, time's a charm third time's a charm you're gonna find something cool and amazing and apparently there's a lot of apartments um on the real estate market in new york city yeah i, I shouldn't have any problems nope so. and especially getting a deal yeah yeah those yeah. deals oh, okay well Let's talk about that new job, shall we? Let's do it. I mean, okay. I feel like we need to tell people like actually if they do not know who this amazing human is, Michael Heaston, they need to know the background information. <clears throat> I know that they can find it online, but we need to say like, you are really, really amazing in what you've accomplished in your career so far, especially being so as young as you are, because I think you're younger than me, oh, if I remember correctly. Thank you. <laughs> Um, I met you, you and I met uh, back in the day with voice lessons, Diana Soviero, I was changing yeah. piano, Richard Cox, a mutual friend said, y'all need to know each other, which was awesome. And then yeah. what I remember is you take, you know, you moving up through the ladder of administration. So with Glimmer Glass, with running the art, uh, Young Artist Program at Washington National Opera, the Lineman Young, Young Artist Met Program, and then moving to Texas to work at Rice as an opera director correct me if I'm wrong with any of these, as well as working with the young artists of the Houston Grand Opera, 
and then now you're back in the Metropolitan Opera as artistic as the artistic administrator, which is yeah. enormous, Michael. It is huge. Enormous. Thank you. Yeah. I love it. I've been lucky along the way and blessed, and I've worked my tail off. And you're extremely <laughs> at good at it. I mean, come on, Michael. What you did with the WNO program, Glimmer Glass, I mean, what you've done with all of them, you've always left them like in this sparkly, better way than when you arrived. So. Oh, thank you. Well, that was always my goal. You know, I was like, you know, those jobs are few and far between. So I felt this responsibility to leave it better than I received it, whatever that could mean based on that program. Um, you know, and it was interesting along the way too, because, you know, I started off as a piano, collaborative pianist and a coach. And um, I always kind of had this balance with administrative roles too. And so along the way, I was kind of like, who am I? And because um, I didn't see other people like me in the business. I didn't see administrators who had spent hours in voice lessons and coachings and endless tech rehearsals and conducting people backstage and um, going into major administrative roles um, and while doing it, still keeping like a recital career going and doing those sorts of things. Uh, so I felt really fortunate and I don't know, I, I felt that at a certain, I think when I got the Washington job, that's when I kind of decided to take the plunge okay. and go more administrative. That's when I thought, okay. Because Dallas Opera was before that where you were doing conducting and things like that. I think yeah, I was head of music right. staff at Dallas Opera for, yeah. I was there for like six years and okay. so I was doing all of was that. There was there someone, uh, because you studied with Margo Garrett, we read, and Brian Seeger, were they, was there one example of like person that you worked with or saw or met or knew that said, you said, ding, yeah, I can do both. You know, not necessarily. Um, what was cool if I, I think Margo was always like my biggest influence, even when I, when I sit down and attempt to play the piano <laughs> these days, Margot goes through my head every day. She's like one of, I think we have those people in our life, like regardless of the day and as, as routine as what we do can be. Mm -hmm. A major yeah. teacher, a major coach, they go through your head, a conductor, and you're like, okay, I remember that person. Margot is that person for me. And, you know, she's the one who first kind of gave me a kick in the pants. And, <laughs> but also she was the one that was like, you just need to go to New York right out of grad school. She said, just go figure it out and make it happen. Right. You're someone who's ready to just, dive in and so that kind of gave me this permission to forge my own path at a young age and to realize that you know what i can figure it out and so along the way you know through my late 20s i would ask people when different opportunities came up i would say you know what do you think of this is this going to confuse people because don't we get so caught up in the business of people trying to box us in yeah <laughs> Oh my gosh, my whole career. Two people that don't fit into boxes here. So you, you're the third in this conversation, you know? Yeah. yeah, you know, and it's like, and we spend so much time and energy trying to guess what box they want us to fit into. Yep. And then wanting someone to tell us what that information is. Like, if someone could just tell me what they need from me. And I kind of found like the aha moment was when I realized if I just do my thing, Maybe they'll just take me and they'll meet me exactly where I am. And so, but up until the point I kind of figured that out, I was like, am I just, am I doing too many different things? I mean, I don't think I'm screwing too many of them up because it just keeps going and I'm getting more opportunities. 
Um, and so I kind of just let the universe force me to decide one day. And that was the Washington job where I thought, okay, this is me really step, stepping into administration on a full-time basis. And I thought, okay, I'm like 33. Um, I'm totally still young enough to go back and play the barber of Seville rehearsals if I don't like this after two years. Like there's gonna be a need for me to pretend I'm a violin and get carpal tunnel syndrome. It's all good. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. You created your own box. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was a very young artist centric box. Cause I think I kind of have this teaching gene in my family and I think it's why I like coaching so much. And I mean, my, my family of teachers are all accounting professors. Guys, <laughs> <laughs> don't fit in. Uh, <laughs> Love it. There's the business side of it, right? Because you yeah. have to have that business mentality as well as the musical mentality. Cause you can't yeah. be artistic administrator at the Metropolitan Opera without some business sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I, you know, I, I begrudgingly did a um, second bachelor's degree because my father was the associate dean of the College of Business where okay. I went to undergrad. And so he had said, you know, you need something to fall back on, you know? And I was like, I don't need to fall back on anything. And I'm so grateful I got that second business degree. <laughs> I love that, brilliant. I think honestly, we all need to have, I mean, any person that wants to go into this business of music needs to have these classes. It needs to be a part of the curriculum. We have to know. Yeah. I yeah. think so. And I think if nothing else, the pandemic has taught us that. That, yeah. you know, if you have all your eggs in one basket, you know, it, it, Six it can months. be dangerous. Oh, sorry. And six months of savings, like they all taught us, like doesn't really cut it anymore, people. <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that, that was lies and manipulation. Uh, yeah, it was very, very much. Okay, so as we're talking about this, this wasn't actually on my list of questions for you, but because I know how much I think, if I'm right, you love working with young singers yeah. and helping them mold into the next step in their careers. Are you going to miss that? Being Totally, totally. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, yeah, it was so much of, what helped get me where I am. I think, you know, I've been running, I, I ran young artist programs. I mean, I got the Glimmer Glass job when I was like 27 running that young artist program. I mean, I was the same age or younger than the people in the program. Um, oh, well, uh, but, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's really what my path has been. Mm -hmm. And one of the, it, it's like one of the greatest thrills to see people you've worked with in their formative years go on and build careers yeah. like really really great careers or to also just find out more about themselves like for me it's like equally a success story like if someone is part of my program and they learn something new about themselves and they wind up doing something else mm -hmm. but you know the better humans we're creating like the better the world is um hallelujah Sorry. you know yes. so um Thank you. but you know i try to look at it in a different way because you know one of my concerns in our lovely industry is that we don't think enough about trajectories of singers and thinking about trajectory on a long-term basis, not five to seven years. Thank you. Like how we were taught. I mean, this is what yeah. we were taught to build these voices to last for 40 years, not for yeah. five. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, from my perspective, that kind of comes out of that young artist mentality. Like I was helping people try to figure out how to build a career, not meeting people at, at a different stage, but I feel like one of my biggest responsibilities is to look at planning at the Met and to look at the artists and to think, okay, 
yes, we can plan four to five years out, but I want to think about what, what will this artist do for the next 10 to 15, 20 years? You know, and I think that, you know, for me, it's, I, I don't know, I find like one of the biggest honors of my career has been like all those years in the trenches, like being the voice lesson pianist and things. I, I think in that respect, like I see, I have seen singers in their most vulnerable state. True. Which is to me, like something that I have to honor. And it also trained my ears. Mm -hmm. so that I understand repertoire, I understand different voices, and I understand, you know, how they work in different rep and, mm -hmm. and what that means. But that also means that and I think my responsibility as an administrator, an artistic administrator who's overseeing casting and planning is that I have to bear that in mind. And that has to be like a leading factor in the way that we think about singing and singers is, you know, how do we make smart decisions so that people build vocally, artistically, et cetera, and so on. And it's not just fill the available slot here, here, and here. Well, I mean, that's what a lot of the modern day managers, that's what all they think about is, well, I have these singers and you guys have these slots, so make it happen. And they don't, I don't think managers nowadays, most of them at least, think about that career trajectory as well. And I, that's where I think the whole problem starts from. It stems from. And singers as well, they look at the, the present and they say, okay, I'm gonna make this money right now. And if I'm not singing five years, eh, I'll go do something else, you know? And yeah. how many singers do we see that happen to nowadays? And, well, and yeah. You know, and I think, you know, isn't there a holistic sort of conversation that just needs to be happening from like all three components, you know, the company, the manager, and most importantly, <laughs> the artist <laughs> so that everyone is on the same page um mm. and that you know that there is a dialogue you know yeah, yeah. Well, knowledge is power right and so so often though knowledge can be used as a source of power for people and they don't want to share information yes. or establish a kind of open communication because that keeps them in a position of power and i think if we can demystify that and just find ways of doing business with one another in a way that really is open and we can talk about things. Um, I would hope it could make things better. I would hope Again, so. Maybe I'm too Pollyanna about all this. I don't know. No, no you know, we no. just had, we just interviewed Perrin Lee Chu's uh, headed to yeah. the POC. And there was something he said that's, it's still resonating with me about companies like he did with the Texas Opera Alliance. There was a reason for that because it was all of us need to be talking to each other and helping each other and promoting each other, especially now in this digital age, because COC can be promoting something that's happening in Ottawa and saying, hey, don't, hey, all of our subscribers, don't forget to check out someone, so and so. I, it made it feel more like a family where opera inclusive. can actually come together, inclusive, inclusive, inclusivity, where everybody can help each other in some manner it's not just one standalone company it's 10 companies together trying to help each other out yep. i just kind of love that and so you're talking work that's one piece of the puzzle and you're talking about the other piece of the puzzle and i gosh michael i really hope like in 10 years i'm seeing that in the business that, that that's actually a reality yeah well yeah we need it you're stepping into some big shoes and let's let's like i'm sorry let's talk about the elephant in the room jonathan yeah. friend right was at yeah. his position for 40 years well yeah. at the met for 40 years yeah i mean whoa whoa the, but, sorry but, but 
Yeah, how many people like in step into when it's like you know the old woman who lived in a shoe. It's like it's yeah. like that sized. Yeah, it's enormous. And his door, at least to me, was always open as a young artist at the Met. Yeah. If I ever had any questions about repertoire, I was like, knock, 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 Jonathan. Yeah. What do you think about this for my voice? And he was always there. So yes, he was artistic administrator and I know he's in charge of casting. Are you gonna have that kind of same open door policy? And let's now talk about your new position. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, for me, the, it, it's so much about open door with artists of all level. And so um, I, I welcome those conversations, especially having run the Lindemann program for a couple of years. You know, it's like, I want the Lindemann artist to come up and knock on my door and for us to have conversations. But I want every artist in the building to feel that they can do that. Um, I, I think it's so important that, um, you know, I, I'm not just someone who books people and then, you know, is some lurking presence in a rehearsal room or they know that I'm in the house, you know, like it's the Olympics or something waiting for to make deductions. Yeah. It's like, that's just not how it works. Um, you know, I, I wanna be someone who brings a lot of positivity into the building and um, who people feel safe with. Um, and that's hard to say in the arts, you know, everything we do, we feel like we're in a fishbowl and everything being is being judged, you know? Always and so I, I think open communication is like the most important thing. And so I, I want that sort of um, feeling to kind of emanate from me and hopefully be um, a little bit contagious in the building um, and, and be a force for positivity. I love that. Okay, what about the tough love conversations though? Oh, I'm good with those. I'm half Puerto Rican. Like I am, I am so, I can switch to San Juan as needed. And like, it's, it's good. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't do that. That's the part of the job. Like I would be like, I'm so sorry. Yeah. yeah. And that's that you, you know, to, to do what you do, you got to tell some singers, I'm sorry, or managers, we're not hiring X, Y, Z because they don't sing well. They were singing well before, but they're not singing well now. Well, no. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I think that's a skill you kind of hone the more you have to do it. Um, yeah, is it a, it's not confrontation, but it is something where you feel like, okay, I've got to bring something up that someone's not going to want to talk about. So that's mm -hmm. automatically going to create a sort of, not friction, but you know, it could be. Um, I really learned that working with so many young artists, what I've always found is because I'm conscious about how I talk to people and deal with people on a daily basis and, you know, I try to be a really good person to people, but I think that if you really live your life with integrity, you have even more ability, a stronger ability to deliver bad news to people or to be a little tougher with them because they know it's coming from a good place. Yeah. I mean, see, I've been on the other end of that with you. I'm, I, I know that. <laughs> yeah, you're perfect. No, no, no. We talked about it when we interviewed um, Francesca because it was an audition that you had set up. I walked in there I mean, I might as well just like cacked a cow right there. And the look on your face was like, like Jerry, you I know <laughs> and I was like, yes, I did. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but you still remember it. Oh yeah, I I'll never forget that ever. And, um, but I, you were honest with me and I was like, I, but I am honest with myself for the most part anyway. So I was like, yeah, Michael, that was a hot dang mess. <laughs> Luckily she gave me a second chance. <laughs> 
Okay. I would really like to understand something. And this is my um, naivete when it comes to the Metropolitan Opera, because for me, the Met's always just kind of been over there somewhere. Um, I explained something to me is when, okay, we just got off, we did an interview with Sophie Joyce and she explained to us how the casting of an opera works there in Paris. I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, that that is very different at the Metropolitan Opera because there's many more people involved, like a Diane Zola, like maybe a Paul Hopper, maybe uh, um, So mm -hmm. I'm just wondering how that works and what does the artistic administrator title mean is it the same as Sophie Joyce's, which is casting director at Paris Opera? Is, is artistic administrator the same? Uh, it, it's very similar. Um, you know, we, we cast at the Met. Um, there is a small team of us. So, okay. you know, Peter's involved. Yannick is involved. Oh, Yannick, yes. Diane Zola, me. Paul Hopper is responsible for um, secondary roles and covers. Okay. Um, so he and I work closely together on that and meet about that a couple times a week so that we're reviewing casting across. Okay. To, to make sure everything is balanced. Um, but it really is about, you know, five of us that are doing that. Um, wow. And yeah, yeah. That's so it takes a lot, a lot of, of discussion. Yeah, it's a lot of opinions at the table. And, you know, what, what's great about it is that it's not a place where we need to agree. Like it's really good that we have different tastes and we have to talk about that mm -hmm. and that we, and we have to butt heads about stuff and other times we agree completely um okay. but it is also a space where that's encouraged and so that's good love that that we can have those kinds of conversations and, and you realize that yeah you may not always get the first choice you want or they might not get their choice or whatever because we start to realize oh we want to spread the wealth in a certain way or um so yeah, it, 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 there is this sort of team effort involved with it, which is really, really good. Um, but, you know, if I were more akin to a casting director, sort of, if that was my title, that would make sense for what I do. Okay. Um, but I also kind of oversee all the artistic planning. Like I, I look at the calendar and figure out, well, how could those productions actually work together in the season? Oh, well, maybe okay. we do these eight performances here, then we do this. I build the calendar. Okay. Oh my gosh, Michael. Which is like, I'm not going to get Alzheimer's. Like, I'm just not. Because I look at that and my brain is like so hyperactive. <laughs> puzzle, 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 puzzle. Okay. Six weeks of rehearsal. Okay. Two weeks of rehearsal. Oh, revival. Yeah, we can oh. do that there. And, you know, we, we, oh, we've done this revival last three years ago. So I think we can do this many stage rehearsals. Let me check with them on this. They agree. Okay, we're good. So then that could squeeze in here. And it's all of that. And I'm looking at the box office to think, well, I think we could sell six of these. I think we could sell nine of these. So that also figures into how many performances we're going to do. Um, so that's a huge piece of the puzzle. And, you know, which I feel very lucky to do. It makes me feel like I really have a pulse about mm -hmm. how the map works Love at them. a really deep level. I, we both feel that you are the injection that that opera house needs. Yes. It oh, needs some new, new, new blood. And we are so happy that it's you mm -hmm. because there are so many ghosts in that building that are floating around. And I think that you are going to bring that vitality and the vibrancy and push the opera house into the direction that it's needed and had to go um, for the past how many years, decades. I mean, yeah. 
Sorry, but th- that opera house is, and I can say this because I grew up there, but it, it needs to change. Yeah, I mean, I feel, I feel very fortunate to come on board now. I feel like, um, you know, y- Yannick and I work very well together and he's someone I just have the, like, the highest respect for um, on every level, like in, as a human being, as, you know, a musician. Um, we, we, we just work really, really well together. So it felt really, as his tenure as music director started to kind of join him at this point, mm-hmm. it, it feels fortuitous. Um, and I, I'm just really excited about the kind of work that we can get done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think just the kind of spirit that we can bring in. And you Thomas Lausmann too. You and have Thomas a new is there. Exactly. Amazing. Exactly. I, I think that's a great trifecta right there. Yeah. And, you know, I think you guys all working together, it's going to elevate the Met and bring it to 2021. Yay. Yes. Because God knows we need it. We, 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 we certainly do. And, and there's, there's, there's a lot to be positive about in the future for all of us. We've just got to get through this. But it's, um, I, I don't know, I, I, I am excited to be a part of that future. Um, you know, yeah. in a way that it still surprises me where I look at my life and I think, how did, how did, how did this happen? <laughs> As I sit in Des Moines right now. Well, I was just going to say, has the pandemic given you a lot of time to, to really like to go through it all? Because it sounds like you've just been like on the little, the, the wheel and you've just been going, turn and turn and turning. And now. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had a lot of time to think and I've had a lot of time the last couple of years just to kind of think about life and values and stuff. And, um, you know, it, it, it's been a rough several years for me. I think that most people know about, you know, my husband's passing. Um, and, you know, we lived our life in such a, not to suddenly take it there, but I'm an open book, um, but we, we lived our life in such a public way mm-hmm. during his um, two years with cancer mm-hmm. and his passing, because we, we thought it was important that, people knew what was happening, but also because of his age, we wanted to people to know, you know, be an advocate for yourself in the health system. Um, you know, early detection, like yes. be that person who demands things from your physicians, regardless of what you're going through, just because they think that, well, your insurance doesn't want to pay for this until a certain age, we shouldn't talk about it. Um, so we thought it was important to kind of do that as a way of advocacy for people. Um, but having like, you know, lived very publicly that way and then um, his passing just a little over two years ago, I kind of went into a phase where I was like, okay, that was a lot. <laughs> um, but I, I kind of just needed time to kind of find me after that while also doing new jobs in Houston and um, kind of finding my way after being with someone for almost 17 years. You know, you suddenly have to find, well, who am I now? I'm used to always making decisions for two people. And, um, you know, that all plays into like, you know, coming back to the Met, I really had, to, it was almost petrifying in ways because when you're used to making a decision with somebody else involved, when you suddenly only think about yourself, it's actually not liberating, it's the opposite. It's overwhelming. Yeah, you go from mm-hmm. a we to a me. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I really had to, think about is this the right next step for me is this something I should do should I go back and um you know and I just thought um because I've been on this hamster wheel which I think is the right sort of 
metaphor for it. Um, I've never been afraid of risk. I've never been afraid to try new things. I've always just grabbed the opportunity that I thought was right and I ran with it and I thought I'm just gonna give it my all mm-hmm. and I'm gonna do my best with it. And I thought, you know, I would really kick myself <laughs> if I didn't go back to the Met in this job. Um, you know, I, and I, it felt like the right time to say, you know what, I'm ready for this. This this needs to be the next phase, the next yeah. chapter, because I've got a lot left to give. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, Michael, you know? like an enormous amount. I think Rush would have like come down and like smacked you across the face. Can you imagine? He, he would have kicked my ass. Oh my God. Um, I can, like, I can hear him like that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, go, go big or go home. Why not? Do it yeah. in the middle of a pandemic. Hey, why not? Yeah. Yeah. So any news on, I mean, like, here's the magic ball. Any news on when the Met is going to open? Do we, do we, do we just shake it around a little bit and go, okay. Wait, those old like magic eight balls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shows up and it's like, yes. Sandra, (laughs) shut up. (laughs) No, I mean, I mean, what I can tell you is because I get this call every day from managers and we are, you know, we're, we're moving full force forward planning for the fall. You know, I think it. it's really optimistic with what's happening with the vaccine yeah. and yeah. the way it's rolling out and how so many people are getting it quickly. And, uh, you know, with the president wanting it available to everybody by May 1st, that gives us a lot to be hopeful for. Um, yeah. So do you think that this is a elephant in the room question? Do you think that the unions can figure it out? Do you think the unions and the management can figure it out so that the doors can open come fall? I am very hopeful about that. I can't go into anything. No. I'm not going to comment on it. But you know, the most enlightening part of the interview with Peter Gelb was learning that there were 15 unions. That he, he is dealing with 15 unions. That's enormous. And um, I, you know, you can either love or hate him, but I respect the fact that he's trying to figure some way forward. Whether you agree with that way or not, he is not aiming for the Met to shut its doors forever. I don't believe that. So no. I think it's um, like when I, when we had that conversation with him, I really, it, I, it, I don't know, it just- It, it was eye-opening. It, it was really so was eye-opening. eye-opening. Yeah, I mean, it, there, there are so many difficult conversations to have. And, yeah. um, you know, we all want the house, you know, to be open and to be, there's, there's so much great opera to make together. And yeah. it, it takes, not just a village. I mean, it basically takes a small city that all just cramps into this building. It's unbelievable. It's so unbelievable. And so, um, you know, and I always go back to my, it's like, yeah, yeah, I'm an administrator and all of that, but it's like at my core and like always in my heart, I'm a musician first. Yeah. Always, always, always. Um, And so, you know, even as I continue in this sort of role and look to the future and um, that will always be a part of what I do. And it's central to every sort of thing that I think about as someone who's in administration is, you know, I will always remain an artist first. And that kind of guides every way that I think about things. Which I love that. I think that's what's been so brutal about watching what's or reading about or whatever about what's happening because you're so brokenhearted for the musicians that have had to leave the city because they can't afford to live there anymore. For whatever you know there's so many reasons on both sides of this table i i mean it's unbelievably heartbreaking so yeah i'm with you i'm with you on all that yeah and casting going into the future because mm-hmm. okay what if 
what if this pandemic lingers longer? God forbid, please no. Then, then we expect. Do you see the Met maybe becoming like a North American, the North American premier opera house, and and hiring more North Americans and Americans than than Europeans? Because it seems like the Met recently, in my opinion, has been more European centric than American centric. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, me certainly being a, you know. American and my whole career has really been built here. Right. Um, yeah, I'm sure I certainly know who all the singers are in the world. Um, but, you know, I, I do know what the house means to artists that are from this part of the world. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I like adding that into the conversations I'm having at the mm -hmm. Met and, and, and thinking about, you know, North American artists and you know, bringing them to the table for discussion. Well, they're struggling so much right now. Absolutely. The Americans, Absolutely. especially the American singers mm -hmm. are, are stuck in America and haven't had the opportunities that other people carry it. Yeah. In the woods. Get me out of the woods, people. <laughs> no, I mean, Carrie, you like the woods. I love the woods, but I mean, seriously, I mean, when I know, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, Chris, we've been together forever and a day when he looks at me, sometimes I'm like, I know, babe, I know I'm trying, I'm trying. He <laughs> <laughs> doesn't even need to say anything. You're just like, I mean, it's just a, it's a look like, oh my God, you know, I'm sorry, because we artists have to have some way to channel this energy, right. this drama, this everything. And when you're stuck somewhere in the dang woods, people for a very long time, the people that love you can only handle so much. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, come on. A little bit of shining, right? Uh, yeah, no, but I mean, I mean, no, America has sucked the big one, you know, because there's only so many handfuls of things that have been able to happen. And that's not enough love to go around for everybody. So it's been really yeah. rough over here, you know, unless you were lucky enough to get over to Europe um, in within these like little teeny tiny windows of time to get in and to stay over there. I mean, it's crazy. Anyway, so yeah. America, let's, let's talk about digital content. And ooh, because that was never something that the artistic administrator at the Met had to think about yeah. ever. Is that part of your job or do you have other people? Is the Met going to go forward with digital content besides the HD stuff that they have in their vaults? Are we going to see new digital content from the Met? Yeah, you know, you know and, my, and my thoughts about it, you know, I, I've had this like longstanding belief that um, so many arts organizations from a marketing perspective mm -hmm. have long have lagged behind what larger for-profit institutions can do. And certainly when you look at for-profit entertainment mm -hmm. is able to do. Um, you know, part of that, you know, when we are a nonprofit arts organization, you know, you're working at a certain budget level and, you know, the, you know, you can't just have the massive team of like 50 people in a room doing your social media and your digital marketing and doing all those things. Right. You know, so what I really hope comes out of the pandemic is that we realize that digital and, you know, the live experience can coexist. And that is a beautiful thing because that lets us 
bring our art form and meet people in a way that they are happy to receive that. Yeah. This isn't like back in the day where, you know, people were really happy to see Maria Callas in Life magazine. You know, it's like, we're not about all these things anymore. It's like, it's not that other media has completely gone away. We've just added to it. Right. And so I think we have to be ready to innovate and do that, especially for younger audiences that are used to, you know, you know, like living like this all day. Right. It's um, <laughs> guilty. Yeah, um, me too. You know, but 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 I, I think that um, the way that we can have a digital experience mm -hmm. that is produced in a way of real high quality, what our audience ex expect from us, that aside from it being a really good artistic experience for people, mm -hmm. uh, it's also a way to bring other sort of content and open our doors to people and get them interested so that they want to have the live experience. Well, they want to go to the theater. Right. You know, we are so much about life. And I don't think it cheapens the history of what we do. Because doesn't history, um, lot, again, speaking of being boxed in, like, the, like some of the coolest things about what we do is that for the most part, you know, you need a, we're unamplified. It's a live experience that you're experiencing with other people around you. So like the audience is its own living, breathing organism mm -hmm. that feeds to the stage mm -hmm. and you thrive on that energy as a performer mm -hmm. and you can sense that anticipation. Yeah. And there's this relationship that happens and we never want to lose that. Um, okay. But I, I think that we can think that digital can help to improve how that is experienced and what entices people to realize that in person. Enhance that was a long answer, sorry. Okay. <laughs> I love it though, I love that yeah. answer. Listen, if nothing, if the pandemic has taught us nothing else, it's that we have to be innovative and find different ways to keep our art form relevant and alive. And yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and it's not thinking that we just do it for now and then we stop. It's how yeah. do you integrate it and continue it for longevity? Because yeah. we've learned stuff from it, right? And so if we don't take the opportunity to reflect and look at well, how did this improve us and make us stronger? You know, all this hard work is a little bit for naught at that point. Yeah, it, it, you would have accomplished something, but, you know, how do you adapt and integrate? That's what I'm interested in. You yeah. know, we need to evolve. And evolution doesn't mean you're forgetting the roots of opera and the tradition of it. Right. No, you're not. I agree with that. I mean, I, I felt for a really long time on many different levels that we are so behind the rest of the music industry, especially like what you're saying, even in digital that we need to walk into. And it is more than like what your article said. It is more than just an Instagram takeover. You know what I mean? There's so much more. We can be so much more relevant in the schools. We can be so much more relevant to the communities that we live in. I mean, it's so much more that we can do that we haven't had even attempted to do, which so many artists, uh, other artists' avenues have. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that, I think I think you hit on you know that's important. It's you know the opera house and an opera company should totally be, you know, a symbol of what that local community is in needs yes. and we're an international art form different languages mm -hmm. hundreds of years of repertoire but somehow we need to be relevant to the community around us and speak to them and change their lives for the better yep. we have to be civically engaged and not just interested in 
you know, what does the whole world think about this? We need to think about that, but you need both the macro and the micro yep. at, at all times going. Because um, at the end of the day, you know, you want that this amazing opera company has something to say about that local community as well. Yep. Bravo. Let's talk about young artists again. Um, yep. Because their careers have been derailed. I mean, mm -hmm. listen, these are people that were just ramping up. We just talked with uh, Tamara Wilson, right? Yeah. Who is, was her career trajectory was like this and then pandemic. And I think the young artists and young singers just getting out of university, colleges, conservatories, what advice do you have for them one year now into digital learning and education, you know, stopping careers? Any advice for them? Yeah, um, you know, I, I, again, I'm always really concerned with the long game. And so, um, yes, we've had a one year gap at this point. If we're thinking about, you know, God willing, many, many years for people, this will wind up being a, a very major, <laughs> but short episode, ideally in the life and career of somebody. And so um, what I would advise people now is I think that we've all reached a sense of real fatigue, pandemic fatigue, which means life fatigue, which means artistic <laughs> fatigue. There's just some days where you don't feel like being creative. Right. You don't feel like you can sing one more note. You're just, it's just not in you. Yeah. And I mean- Edit we one can't... more video. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, right? And so it's, um, I, I think that, you know, my advice would be to keep looking forward and don't apologize for, the days where you feel less inspired because then I think people start to beat themselves up and it's going to be harder to push forward past this mm -hmm. um, I think people need to be especially these young artists need to think about using this as a thorough time of preparation so that when the floodgates open afterwards they are 179 percent prepared for the auditions that they can do um, and to really have embraced what it means to have a digital audition process as part of pre-screening, which has been what the whole year has been for them to look at training programs and all of that. Really understand what that is. I don't know that that's gonna go away, mm -hmm. um, but again, it's kind of be willing to accept where you are today and just know that you have to keep working toward the future and be so prepared for the auditions coming on the other side of this. I mean, they're, they're continuing now, but um, it's, you know, don't get caught up in, being mired down in this difficult time. It's totally fine to have a bad day or a week or a month, whatever. Go through and feel what you feel because actually you'll wind up channeling that into some interpretation you're gonna bring to us. Yeah, I feel like, thank you. I feel like yeah. what you just said could apply to everybody, to artists on all levels. I mean, even myself, you know, because you're sitting here just like, and you're, and I think for me, when I got the shot and that was just recently, we get our second one on April 5th was the first time that I felt like there was a flicker of light at the end of the tunnel, even though I knew the light was there, it just was just, I don't know. It just made it feel like it really, like the flame got lit. And then all of a sudden, like conversations with her were like, holy crap, 
it's coming. Yep. And, and those houses that have never heard me that want to hear me, I need to make sure that I have my poop in a group, as Sandra would say. And so that I am, my stamina is back to what it was. My voice is even better than it was before we got out of the pandemic. I've learned some new stuff. And so my whole schedule has changed. My daily routine has changed because of that. And it took, maybe I guess it took the shot for me to be like, okay, girl, pull it together. You got work to do. Well, let's talk about something that has never been a part of our business. Mm -hmm. And I think opera houses are maybe going to think about embracing this is mental health advocates, mm -hmm. diversity advocates. Mm -hmm. um, is the Met doing anything about that? I mean, people are, the stress levels have to be through the roof with Met employees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think I, I think you hit it, you know, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And boy, for the longest time, and I, there's so much stigma in the entire world when it comes to mental health. Amen. You know, so let, let's start there. Um, certainly, you know, you know uh, my late husband was a clinical psychologist. And so mental health is something that is so, um, I'm just so aware of it. And I'm so aware of what a bad relationship we have with just even being able to talk about it right. in this business, because suddenly it seems like that person's weak or you feel like you've you've shown a place that you don't you know that it wasn't okay to talk about that mm -hmm. um so i am all about like we just need to destigmatize our thoughts about mental health in the world um <clears throat> again it's if people don't feel safe to be a human being because every single one of us one of us will have an issue with mental health at some point in our life you know so um I'm very mindful. I mean, the state of mental health in the world right now because of the pandemic is a big thing. And I think when you think about people going back to work, it, it's not just that suddenly everything's fine and, you know, we're hunky-dory. You know, there, there are people who like need to remember how to put shoes on again to walk into an office building because they haven't worn them in a year. Um, heels. When High heels? heels. It's real. The pain is real. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, you know, it's, we, we, we really have to think about that. Um, I think you know, that's certainly a, a discussion that, you know, the reopening task force is talking about at the Met and, um, and certainly from a, a diversity perspective, you know, I'm also the, you know, half Puerto Rican guy from West Des Moines, Iowa. So in, in the back of my head, that has always been a part of um, my work in opera was thinking of people from diverse backgrounds, because um, I come from one. Um, you know, I, I'm so excited that, you know, Marsha Sells has joined the Met as the new chief diversity officer. Right. And um, that's just going to bring so much needed, great conversation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's something where I, I, I was glad, you know, last spring, I wasn't working for the Met yet, I was still working in Houston, but to see that they had announced they were going to create this position, mm -hmm. and they followed through with it very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's good to have Marsha with us now. And also I think showing the world what a chief diversity officer does. I think there's so many people who don't actually know what that job is. Mm -hmm. And I think that she's going, going to just be a force for good um, because it, it, it will impact the entire workplace culture at the Met, mm -hmm. um, but also the way that we engage with the community. Uh, from an education perspective, but also with uh, the community as a whole and, and how we think about programming and ancillary programming. Um, you know, the entire industry has a long way to go. 
in this oh regard. Gosh, I mean, really, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Hello. I don't even know where, where like, he's got a long way to go. <laughs> knock, knock, knock. Hello, 2021 people, 2021. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I, I'm grateful that in an, in, in an industry that has needed to have these kinds of conversations for decades that we can have them and we can be held accountable mm -hmm. and we can hold each other accountable yeah. and that progress can be made. Yeah. It has to happen. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Really. Oh, Carrie. Carrie's emotional. I love Michael. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So with that in mind, yeah. how are we going to get the younger audiences? Into the oh theater. boy, isn't that always the question? Like, oh, where God, is the if we had once again, hello, Mr. Magic Eight Ball, <laughs> I'm showing my age, but yes, hello, Mr. Magic Eight Ball, how are we yeah. going to get younger people into the audiences? Yes, yeah, exactly. I think I, I think I told the manager last week when they called me and they asked me something, and I said, I think my, my, my crystal ball's in the shop, I'll let you know. Um, <laughs> it's like I'll pick it up next week. Um, I, <laughs> mine is just broken, it's like broken. it's. Yeah. It says, it said, fuck you, so <laughs> No, it totally did. And you were like, what? Uh, <laughs> you want to you go home? Fuck you. <laughs> no, you can't. You can't. You can't. No. You're done. Um, you know, I, I think part of young audiences goes, it, it, it's a compilation of everything we've talked about, but it has to be so strategic. Like it can't be, um, let's see if one thing works. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, we, we live in a society that overvalues multitasking as mm -hmm. far as I'm concerned. Like, mm -hmm. we shouldn't be doing all the things all the time. Yeah. But I think it, when it comes, you know, <laughs> you know but I, I think when it comes to young audiences, though, you, you have to, like, think of a few things. Um, number one, education. Education, education, education in the schools, you know, we, we look at the way that music programs have been cut and education programs or reduced in terms of the way that they offer uh, students exposure mm -hmm. to the arts in general. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the first place. They, many of them aren't gonna get it at home. And so the way that we can meet students in that way, I think is super important. It's in combination with digital Mm -hmm. And it's in combination with work towards you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion as well. You know, we have to be thinking about how many communities can we reach yeah. with our message and our content mm -hmm. and in a way that makes them feel like they belong. Yes. You know, we need yeah. to demystify it. We need to not make it a scary place to be. Yep. It needs to not be a place where like, you know, someone shows up at the Met wearing jeans and someone gives them a dirty look and then they're afraid yeah. to see an opera ever again. Thank you. Thank you. Or Thank did you. I clap at the wrong time? Or, you, you, know, you know, Perrin Leach talked about that. He's like, that's over. Like, you can come on in, make all the noise you want. <laughs> yeah, like, and, and he also said, bring snacks. Yeah, bring snacks. Yes. We love the snacks. Love it. Love <laughs> but it. if anybody drops an M&M on the floor when I'm pianissimoing at the end of VC Darte, I might have one in my pocket and throw it back at you. I'm sorry. <laughs> or you'll just nosedive for it and you'll be like, <sighs> I'll be like, that, can you throw it up here? Thanks a lot. Who wasted that? 
priorities. I love that, Michael, because it's true. I mean, that's the only way that we're going to keep this younger generation there. Because I, I'm sorry, I don't. They don't have the. I don't have the patience for that kind of attitude or thinking thought process anymore. When I go to the theater, so. But those are usually the the performances. If if I were to look back on my career, and I'm sure Carrie's going to agree with with me, those performances that were for the children are always the most spectacular ones because it is a raw, immediate reaction and emotion from them. Yep, yep. And you, and you get to like the curtain call and like just the yeah. pitch that all those children are screaming at is this close to being dog whistle pitch. Like they might like be that high. And um, it's just like- You're like, I'm Brittany, I'm Brittany. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm Brittany. <laughs> I think it's like you have created an experience for them mm -hmm. that they will never forget. Ever. From, from walking in the doors to a theater and like, you know, just being in that space. Um, I don't know. And, and I have to say, you know, some, some people are like, oh, you know, the kids are here today. I feel like for the most part, almost all artists love it and thrive on it. And um, I just always think back, like we all had that moment, right? Like when we were a kid where we saw something yes. and it inspired us to go into this crazy thing that we're doing now Absolutely. what was it for you oh god so i thought i was going to be a broadway music director first so for me it was the national tour of jesus christ superstar at the civic center jesus in des moines iowa superstar done cool i still tell people they're like what's your what was the first opera you saw and i'm like jesus christ superstar because it's a rock opera <laughs> all right you know what and you're right but you know what, but I thought that um, I, I was gonna, I originally wanted to be um, a Broadway music director and play keyboards and do that sort of thing. Cool. Um, and so, you know. You know what, Michael, with your amazing career, you never know. I you might just see, you just never know. Pivot, pivot, right, pivot. So what else are you passionate about? We know you love music. Anything else like that really makes you wake up in the morning and go, wow. Yeah, you know, um, when I can do it, like I, I'm a Bikram yoga person. Like I love getting in like that 105 degree room and sweating my ass off. And you reach a point in the class where you're like, you don't know if the sweat on the floor is yours or the person next to you, but you're like, fine. Not COVID times. Yeah. I haven't been able to do that in forever and ever. Um, so I, that's like a place, because what I like about that is with everything that I'm usually doing with in life, like, if you are not focused upon not passing out and just maintaining like that standing bow pose, you're gonna be on your ass in like less than two seconds, like it's done. So it's like, you literally have to leave the world at the door. I love and not that. worry about it, cause you gotta get through it. Um, and it just feels so good afterwards. Even you're kind of like, I might be dead, but it feels really good. Um, <laughs> so I'm concentrating on passing out. It kind of scares me a little bit, but okay. <laughs> no, but it's like you get you get used to it after a couple of weeks and you're like, this feels great. Um, um, I don't know about that. I, my first foray into that, I walked into class and went to give her my money. And she's like, oh no, honey, hold on to your money. If you actually make it the whole class, then give me the money. Cause she knew it was my first time. And I was like, and then of course, like my competitive spirit was like, whatever, I will make it through this class and give you my money. And I don't, I did not make it through the whole class. <laughs> I mean, there was a moment where I thought you're gonna puke right here on this mat. Like it's gonna happen, it's real. And I thought you need to leave. And I, I mean, when I saw what my face looked like after 
and I never did it again. <laughs> you work up to that. I'm sure your first one, Michael, you weren't like, oh, it's terrible. Oh my God. <laughs> no, it's the worst. You think you have to do like four or five classes in one week and then your body acclimates, but like oh. the worst two, I mean, that's the devil's handiwork. It is just a nightmare. That's uh, horrible. Yeah. Well, I didn't know that. I didn't know you needed to keep trying because I would have done that, but I, I didn't know. I was like, how do people do this? This is insanity. Like, no, bye. Yeah. Just okay, chug okay. like two liters of water and then do it and then do it like four or five times in a week. Okay. But are you like a, this is a personal question, but are I, I will just say I am. Are you a personal, like I'm, when I work out, I am drenched. Like no matter what weight I am, even at my thinnest, like I would, I just sweat like a beast. Yeah, a sweater. I'm a big mm-hmm. sweater man. So watch out, people. You as um, well. Oh yeah. You? Totally. And, and that's good for you. Class. Totally. It's good for you. Yes. I have a Lululemon bag that said you should sweat once a day. Well, and if they said it, it's the truth. <laughs> And if Lulu Demon said it, it has to be right. Absolutely, because they charged you enough for it. <laughs> exactly. I mean, seriously. Oh, yeah. Girl, you can have sex and sweat during sex. That's your once a day sweat. <laughs> I've been mean, out for three months. So we're just going to just leave that right, right now. That is just a really stupid thing to hold back. <laughs> so my sweating once a day has not been really. It's not working. I'm sure, I'm sure they made a prototype of that bag and it just wound up not getting made, but. <laughs> I love you, my God. <laughs> Sorry, anyway. All right, yes. Anything from the pandemic that you've learned that you want to carry forward into the future? Ah, um, good question. That's a really good question. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, given that my job is to continually think about like advanced planning, yeah. I've really had to learn how to be present in the moment. Oh. And not to let trying to figure out the future derail me, but also then the balance of not getting mired in the moment. I'm trying to find that balance of like living in the moment, but then not getting stuck in it. Yep. And I feel like I've learned a lot about that for me. That's heavy. You know, especially because, like, you know, my stuff is in a storage unit in Houston still. I'm living with my parents. Getting to New York, I was just kind of like, I just need to take myself where I am on a daily basis, all of the day. Sometimes hourly, I would think too. Honestly, yeah, yeah you know, and it's like I feel like what's interesting about it is like you never really figure it out. It's going to evolve. I think the rest of your life. So I think for me, it's just about being aware of it mm-hmm. and acknowledging it, and like step number one. Step yeah. number 20, you know, like, just, have a problem. No. <laughs> well, how many steps are there? But you know, I, don't know. I feel like I have 50 now. Um, um I, you know, the pandemic is just giving you a lot more time to think a lot more time to process a lot more time to reflect, especially I mean, I have I know, Sandra has talked about that too, about the hamster wheel we all were on. Oh, yeah. And then what that means looking like going forward, how much of a hamster wheel do you want to be on? I don't know. I think you just have to know what you want for your life and you have to like know about quality of life because so much of like who we are as artists completely defines us and and quality of life comes second on the list and I don't know I think we need to all be okay with having conversations about quality of life earlier in our careers and knowing that that's okay yes 
I agree with you. We had a conversation with Christian Van Horn and it's very interesting. All three of us stand on very different platforms with that on how we, on how we look at it. It's really fascinating to me what artists put first and foremost yeah. um, and, and why those decisions are made that way. And hopefully that's the right one for them. You know what I mean? That's hopefully that was the right one for me. So um, I, I, I love those discussions and I feel like that stigma needs to be removed, that it's okay to say, I actually really want to do this and I want this as well. It doesn't have to be just this. So. Yeah, definitely. It's like, it's like, why can't it be like, what is that thing? Like the first rule of improv is like, yes. And like, why can't we just yes. And the shit out of this. Thank you. Just why not? I have one more question and then we want to do some rapid fire, but what challenges do you think we face um, getting back to the new normal? Yeah, I, I think one of the biggest challenges we face is getting people to um, take people, like I, I know I've said this a lot, take people where they are now. I think a lot of artists have made a lot of change and growth and self-discovery during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I think that the industry and our audiences, not they shouldn't just expect that people are going to pick up where they left off. Mm -hmm. So like for me as like a casting person, that means like, I wanna hear as many singers as possible because I wanna hear what's new with them. I don't just wanna think that they're gonna do what they did before. Right. And I'm really hungry for that, to try and reimagine with people, what is their, for some people it hasn't changed, but other people, there might be interesting new steps in the trajectory. And I think it's people feeling like they have the space to show people the new them and that people need to be receptive to that. I love that, yeah. that's exciting. I find, I'm like, yes. <laughs> we didn't even ask you what you, we had asked Sophie what she looks for in singers. We didn't ask that, Carrie, did we? No, but we should. Um, um, yeah, we, yes, we did. We asked Sophie what is her, when she's in an audition for Paris Opera, what is she looking for in somebody to sing on that stage? Do you yeah, have right. a list for yourself? Always. Yeah. Are you willing to share it? I'm, ha I'm happy to share it. Um, for me, it, it's all about the voice first and foremost, and something in the timbre needs to touch me in a, in a way where I, I know it's, it's a unique sound. It's that artist's vocal thumbprint. Mm. It's unique. It's their own. And so that can mean many things. It's like, I want the sound to be special, but special can be realized in different ways. Mm. You know, um, you may access a wider array of vocal colors, the more that you get to use text in an interesting way. Like I want to know that you're so living in the text as a native speaker would use it and as the character would use it in that moment that I'm transported. Um, I close my eyes in every audition so that I'm really just trying to see if I can hear the drama in the voice, which yeah. is super important to me that I can hear drama in someone's voice. So I think I think it's actually the highest artistic aspiration that we can ask of an opera singer is to do that. And I think it's one of the hardest things to do at all times. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I'm looking for uh, a real musical point of view um, and not someone who's trying to be correct. Hmm. You know, I like the moments where it feels a little risky. I think the more that it's safe, the more it's homogenous and homogenous to me is like a four letter word. Yeah. Thank you. So, you know, it's like, I, I don't want people to sound like everybody else. 
And I want them to feel like they can come in and like, this is who I am. Love that. You know, for the Met, there's certainly, there is this aspect of, can you fill the space? That's not, that's not a decibel level thing completely. That's a technical thing. Sure. You know, if your sound is healthfully produced, you know, it's going to cut. But I do have to consider that as well, certainly in a 3,800 seat opera house. Um, but for me, like the price of admission is just the basic sound and artistry um, needs to be special because there's a real opinion behind it. I love you. I love that. That is amazing. And great advice for, for not just young artists, but any artist yeah. auditioning for the Met. And I mean, it's a big stage too. You have to fill it with your personality, not just oh, your yeah. voice. Absolutely. As you know so well. And especially, you know, if you have to come in and do a stage audition for us, you know, and there's some piano in the middle of the stage and you come in and it's just you and maybe a few crew people off stage. And then I'm in the back of the house being yelling, what else have you brought today? (laughs) And we're all yelling at each other in this empty house. Mm -hmm. And it's like, even- You ask for the worst music, don't you? You always ask for the worst piece. I I try not to. I I try to ask (laughs) what I think needs to fill in the gaps, but also what I think is gonna show people at their best that they're comfortable with. Ideally, like everything on the list should do that, but also I have to like listen to where people are that day and think, okay, we just heard this. It'd be good to hear this other thing or we're thinking about them for this role. So let's ask for this. Um, But there are days where the artistry just incites curiosity in me Mm -hmm. and I'll just follow that path. I'll go down like that YouTube rabbit hole with you and just- Love that rabbit hole. Thank you. That's, you know, that's really helpful information, mm-hmm. I think, for people to hear. And, and any size opera house, be it Paris Opera, the Metropolitan yeah. Opera. So, all right, Carrie, what Sorry, time? You guys are like bringing back really awful memories of that Metropolitan audition. <laughs> <laughs> that, when you walk out on that stage. Oh, it's massive. I'd never done it. I didn't, I'd never, I mean... I covered, but I never had sung for a lead role. And when I walked out on, it's so different standing on the stage than it is sitting in the audience. And I, I mean, I wish I had, so I could have understood the space because this, it freaked my hiney out. I mean, I got in there and, and I'm sorry, but the people that are listening to you, they look like ants, you know, you're just like, um, am I out here by myself? And and then, and then, then you have no idea what your voice is going to sound like in there. And then you start singing. And I was so inexperienced at the time. I mean, now I know what it's like to sing in the big opera house, but I, at the time I just was like, oh my God. And then you look up. That's what I tell everyone. Cause people, a lot of young singers ask me, what advice would you give me for my med audition? Don't look up. <laughs> Which of course, well, now you say that. And that's the first thing they're going to do. Isn't that what look up? Just well, look right out. Don't look sing up. this like. Um, but then like, and, and a people do not put on an aria that you have never sung for anybody else before, even like a mock audition situation, which is what I did. And of course, Craig Rutenberg asked for that one. And I might as well have been standing there naked. I could not wait to get off that stage. I was like, oh, Jesus, I gotta go. <laughs> That's a whole nother discussion. Sorry. Yeah. About mm-hmm. what to offer. Oh man. For. Yes. I mean, that's, that's like a. Know your business, yeah. people. I feel like, I don't know if I, am I wrong? I feel like when you audition for something like that, I think if you have performed the role, those are probably the better audition pieces to bring in. Am I wrong? 
Yeah, I mean, usually if, you, if you're going to get a stage audition for the Met, it's usually for something very specific because yeah. stage time is precious. And right. There isn't enough of it for us to hear people um, on a regular basis. So usually it's really with something specific in mind and, you know, we'll tell the manager what that is. <clears throat> that said, we will also want you to put a couple other things on there so that we can maybe go beyond that role and hear other things. Um, you know, we do so many titles every year and... You know, I think it's a shame for you to come all the way to the Met and only get heard for that one specific thing. Like, I think we have a responsibility to try and hear more facets of what the artist can do. Okay. I, it's, it's easier It's easier if it's specific, but I do love the option to show, listen, I can also do this, 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 and this. If you want to hear it, it's available. Yeah, yeah. And this, 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 and this is also like, I think people feel like you need to find the middle ground. Like, yeah. you know, you don't have to come in with like the six things. Like if that's just one other thing you want to bring in that day and like, these are the three things I have today or the four things. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Make you it know. easy for you. That's yeah. what I tell singers. Make it easy for the casting people. Point them in the direction where you're going, people. Don't give them everything. Yeah. You know, they don't want soup to nuts. They want to know. They they want make it easy for them. Point yeah. them in the direction. That's yeah. What, and I tell so many young singers. Oh, sorry. That's what so- Sophie Joyce said. Make it make my job easy. Show me. Tell me. Yeah, yeah, tell me who you are. And I think it's so different for the young artists because they audition for these programs and they have to like, you know, fulfill all these different requirements and show how well-rounded they are. Mm-hmm. And then they finish that and then they have to like not do that anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to change that mentality mm-hmm. in an emerging artist who feels like, but aren't I supposed to show that I can do everything all the time? And it's like, no, you don't actually. Um, show us what you do the best and what you feel like shows you. Yep. The moment that you're, go into an audition and you feel like this is what they want from me as opposed to you focusing them on this is what I want them to know about me like you have agency paint us the picture you want us to see mm-hmm. and when- all right Carrie we got to do rapid fire because he is an important man and he's got taken up a lot of your time Michael thank you yes so rapid fire are you ready for it rapid fire. are you ready I hope okay. so. gird your loins Michael Heaston gird them do you have a motto or a mantra that you live by? Bloom where you're planted. Ooh. What talent would you love to have? Um, I wish I could water ski. Oh, come on. Random, I don't know how to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, do I, don't know. I live on a lake now. We're getting a boat. <laughs> Get out there. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you a video and be like, Michael, this is your instructional video. Excellent. Okay, what is the worst habit that you will never break? Oh boy, um, too much dessert. <laughs> I'm sorry, that is not a bad habit to have. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Now with Bikram yoga. <laughs> Most beloved thing you own? My dog. Oh, sweetie bun. Yeah. How old is she now? She is 12 and she's napping quietly behind me. Um, She's been very good this whole interview. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't know there was a dog there. So, okay. okay uh, la, 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 la. Oh my god. Okay. What is one thing that you have tried that you'll never do again? Um, Bikram yoga. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Never try again. Mm-hmm. Um, Jaeger can't do it hate it can't hate do it, it. it's wrong <laughs> man it is wrong 
We're I'm, too old for that shit anyway. <laughs> Song that always gets stuck in your head. Um, Carol King, it's too late. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> it's random. It's random. Okay. Okay. What's your secret talent? Secret talent. Is that um, I feel like that's a dirty question. Like, can you actually share that with people? What is your <laughs> secret? Oh, I'm Carrie, like, you're you having a day. I am having uh, a day. Like, what are you assuming about me, Carrie? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, secret talent. Um, I can throw pottery on a wheel. No way. Yeah. That is so cool. My sister used to do that. We had the kiln, the whole thing. Wow. That is awesome. Worst gift you ever received? Um, mono. <laughs> Can you call that a gift? <laughs> At least it's not COVID. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Right, Carrie, is it time? What if that was the answer, COVID? Oh, sweet Jesus. Okay, yeah. Okay, Michael, what is your favorite cuss word in any language? Oh, fuck. Absolutely. General consensus. It, it's like so utilitarian. Yes. All right. Um, are we ready for the last one? Do it, girl, do it. Okay. Uh, and, and this is, I have a feeling this is gonna be a very emotional one. So I'm like girding my loins. If heaven exists, what do you want to hear God say? when you walk through the pearly gates? Ah. Um, well done, you did it. And he's waiting for you. Beautiful. See, I knew it was gonna, I was like girding, girding. Yeah, no, I can't don't cry, Sandra, don't cry. <laughs> don't cry. Work, right? Yeah. Wow. That was an amazing discussion. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Yep. Well, I hope I hope I see you in the fall. Absolutely. Or I hope I see you in the fall too, because I'll come see her, and then maybe we all can go have some cocktails and a drink or something. And thank you for doing this shenanigans with us. Yeah, we, definitely in the plural cocktails. And good luck on your apartment search. Yes. Thank you so much. And Thank congratulations you. on the new, uh, congratulations on the new job. And I'm so, so, so excited for you. And yeah, I can't wait to see all the awesome things. Thank you you're No, it's, it's, it's a lot, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to do this thing now. All right. And <laughs> you're going to do it well. I mean, like you've got, there's so many of us that just believe in you and support you and are so excited about it. Thank you. Sorry right. Thank right, you guys. so much for your time. We are, we are so grateful. Oh. So, my pleasure. I See wish you. I could give you a hug. It's been I know, right? It's like, ah. <laughs> Paris hugs, Paris hugs, Paris hugs. Yeah. All right. Safe travels. Right. Take Bye. care. Bye. Bye.